Well, as you know, um, if you've been with us this last fall, we just kind of, as a, as a leadership team, had two major focuses that we wanted to go this year, and, and as long as the Lord wants us to go, and that is the renewal in the gospel, um, because I think a lot of people have a rather one-dimensional, brittle understanding of it, um, and to experience the power that it has um, in the Christian life and in Christian community. And some of you small group so went through that, um, now Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We've been going through on Sundays, the book of Galatians, with this aim of, of, of gospel renewal. But the other side of it, of course, is just to engage in our community as Christians in all kinds of ways, both individually and corporately. And so City Hope kind of came out of that, a desire to bring hope to the city of Fairfield, or if you live in Vacaville, Vacaville, or if you live on base, on base. And... Um, and so I wanted to just kind of plug at the beginning of a year that second part of, 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 of impacting the world um, of, with our lives. And this particular passage in, in Luke chapter 10 has been something that, that has provided truths that I have had to go back to over and over and over again in terms of um, what I'm going to call the essentials of, 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 of kingdom ministry. And when you hear kingdom ministry, you might be thinking that's what the pastor does or what elders or deacons do, but no, it's kingdom ministry is what every person who's a follower of Jesus is to be doing where God has called you and placed you. Um, and, and it's that particular kingdom ministry and what I'm going to call five essentials of kingdom ministry that I wanted to focus on that I think keep us even keel, that maintain our bearings as we seek to, to be who God created and redeemed us and called us to be right here, right now in this generation and in this city. Now, you'll notice that I call them kingdom, uh, essentials of kingdom ministry. Um, that is a word and a concept that you cannot avoid in the scripture. Um, in fact, you read the New Testament, you, you'll just be flooded with how important this concept of, of the kingdom is. Um, it's, it's the grand theme that runs from the beginning to the end of the Bible. Um, we're told as his followers to seek first his, his kingdom and his righteousness. We're we're told that the gospel itself is referred to in Matthew 24 as the gospel of the kingdom. Um, the very first preaching you hear when you read the New Testament gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the words that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, unfortunately, we're kind of at a disadvantage being Americans where we said goodbye to a king over two centuries ago and told King George to take a hike and set up a different kind of government where there was no king. It's a little bit culturally detached to understand exactly what's in mind when, when that phrase that the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God has come or the kingdom is here because we have no king and therefore it's a little bit difficult for us to just naturally understand um, what that kingdom idea means. And I'm a picture guy, and I probably have used this in classes that I've taught, as well as some of the Edward societies that I lead, but I thank the Lord, almost every, every day would be an overstatement, I thank the Lord that in God's providence, he moved in the hearts of Disney producers to produce The Lion King. It's just, work with me here, because it's the best mental picture, I think, that's out there as to what the kingdom means. Uh, it's almost a, a, a near-perfect analogy of redemption and kingdom. If you wash away all the spiritual um, New Age mumbo-jumbo about circle of life stuff and all that. Um, I mean, the, the, the movie opens up with, with, with uh, all of the animals all around Pride Rock, and there's the, the mighty king, the, uh, Mustafa, um, 
Mufasa, that's what it is. I was in Pride Rock and all the, all the animals are celebrating and there's a birth of a child and the sun is shining and, and the idea is it's a place of flourishing and, and the animals have enough to eat and there's light. It's just, it's just an impressive picture of, 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 of flourishing life. That, church, is Genesis 1 and 2. I have pictures just so you'll be able to... That's Genesis 1 and 2. I want to burn something into your head. That's why I'm doing this, not to promote Disney, heaven forbid. But you remember what happens. There is a, through deceit and betrayal, a deceiver takes the throne. And as a result, you remember what happens to the land. It's the absence of flourishing life. It's, it's, it's devouring. It's desolate. It's dark. And this is how it looks in the movie. That, brothers and sisters is a picture of Genesis 3 and onward. It's the world in which we live. Fallen, broken, dark, desolate, where people are scraping and scratching to take their little piece of the pie. That's the world in which we live, a great picture. The redemptive moment, of course, happens in in the story when the true heir and the only son of the king returns. And he, and if you've seen it, you know, he does his battle with his evil Uncle Scar and prevails. So that by the time you get to the end of the movie, you see this flourishing again with all of these crazy little figures. And all of the animals are happy again. I like to think of that as every tribe, tongue, and nation are all happy because the king has has vanquished the deceiver and the betrayer and has once again created a kingdom of flourishing life. Because the king has returned, not just any king, but a king who is good and just and righteous. And where there is a king who is good and just and righteous, then the people flourish. Life flourishes. There's light. Now, I want you to keep those two images, the last two in your mind, of, of everything desolate, dark, and destro- destroyed, and, and the other one of, of flourishing life when the king is on the throne. And imagine for a moment that the world in which we live is the dark one. And then along comes John the Baptist and later Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here. That is, the, 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 in the person of the king and the work of the king, um, the restoration of a flourishing life and, and place and people is upon us. That's, that, that, that last picture is a is a picture of, of what the kingdom kind of looks like in all of its fullness. That, that when Jesus came, he came to bring that flourishing life to his people and to hearts that were once dark and desolate and, and eventually to a creation which is dark and, and flawed. He's going to make it flourish again in the fullness of life and, and light and all of that. So you can understand why, why it was good news of great joy that the kingdom has arrived. It's not just an abstraction. It's a it's, it's, a, it's a flourishing life in our hearts and in, in relationships and in marriages and ultimately in the world itself. That is a really good picture because we as followers of Jesus have been called into this kingdom ministry of what we're supposed to be doing. Of God's power through us coming into places which are dark and desolate and, and bringing this flourishing life that, that, that Jesus is and he's come and died and lived again, to give us. And here in this, this chapter of Luke, 
Jesus sends out 72 people to go do this kingdom ministry. And, um, and I think it's instructional for us. It's preserved, I think, in part not just to show what Jesus did, but also to instruct us on how we are supposed to likewise um, go about being these world changers, these, um, these kingdom ministers where God plants us to bloom. I want to read it, and then I'm going to only talk about three, and I'm going to talk about four and five, the essentials of kingdom ministry, um, and next week, just three. Um, I'm going to kind of work backwards, though, from the text for logical reasons. Let me read this for you, and read it with me. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, that is, in addition to the 12 apostles, and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. Most of us have heard this. Um, graded evangelistic campaigns to hear this. A harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. And he says, greet no one on the road. That doesn't mean be impolite. The idea is that you're urgent. Your, your uh, task is an urgent one. You don't have time to mess around. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom than for that town. As I said, I'm going to kind of work backwards. There's a lot in this, and, and you could probably draw out about a thousand essentials for Christian ministry or kingdom ministry from this. I'm just going to focus on some important ones that have been used by God in, in my life. Working from the end, um, Jesus tells us, tells these 72, um, the task, the essential task of, um, of kingdom ministry, something that we have to always keep in mind. And some of these are going to be simple, but they're things that are so simple you have to come back to over and over and over again because either we forget or we're distracted from them. Is that we're to advance Christ's authority through work and word. Now, before I talk about that word and work part, um, I need to back up for a second and just notice something that I think is, is rather profound. These 72 followers are sent out that are in addition to the 12 apostles. Now, if you go back to chapter 9, you realize that the, the 12 apostles who were called apostles are sent out to do this authoritative kingdom ministry. And here in the very next chapter, he sends out 72 with the same kind of, kind of kingdom authority to show forth and manifest the power of God's kingdom. And that's made explicit down in verse 19 where he says that he gives them the authority to do his work. I think by extension, now we expect the apostles to carry authority, and they did, and they carried an authority that we do not carry today, and the fact that they spoke infallibly and wrote infallibly and were inspired to to, uh, lay down for us biblical revelation. 
But the fact that he also extends his kingdom authority to these 72, I think the implication is that wherever God sends those who are truly followers of his, he sends them with and under his authority to represent his authority. In other words, where God places you, you are this manifestation of kingdom power and authority. Just as the 72 went out, so here we are 2,000 years later, and God sends us out. Something to keep in mind. But then, representing the king, there are these kind of two aspects, two primary aspects of our, of our kingdom ministry. One is work and one is word. Now, the working part, let me, for sake of clarity, just kind of divide it into two. The working of miracles or kingdom miracles and the rather more mundane types of work. By mundane, I don't mean boring or monotonous, but rather the repetitive work of doing kingdom ministry that's non-miraculous. I think, based upon what they say when they come back and other things that are said in chapter 9 and so forth, that the works that they were going around doing were nothing less than the miraculous works of power. Uh, Dennis, I think, last week said it well and that Jesus... uh, exercised these works of authority and power over creation when he called the wind to stop and, and, the, and the waves to settle down and, and he drove out the demons and he also healed the sick and then raised the dead, all weaved in there. Those were not just um, crowd pleasers. They were proof that Jesus wielded authority over all of creation, over the demonic, over sin and even death itself. It was a manifestation of his kingly power. That's what it was meant to do. And here are these 72 who are going out doing that same kind of thing of, of manifesting God's miraculous power. And that begs the question, does God still do the miraculous today? Now, I think history, read will show that certainly the frequency of miracles and so forth is, is, has never been after the first century what it was then. But I don't think God retired from doing the impossible. And I, I, I certainly do believe and have experienced at some level where God has answered prayers in a way that cannot fully be explained. So if you ask me, does God still do the miraculous? I, I absolutely believe yes. And what that means for us as followers of Jesus who believe in the kingdom power that he has sent us out or his places where we're supposed to be um, to do his kingdom work, that when we have opportunity and we have a, a sick or dying neighbor or, or friend, to, to recognize that God does do the impossible, maybe not every time, but he does, and to have the courage to lay your hand on a shoulder of, of that person, take them by the hand and say, can I pray? And pray that God in his power would heal you. And then let the Lord answer it as he wills. Because there have been cases, and again, this is anecdotal, but where Christians have prayed that God would do the miraculous, and in fact, the person did experience some healing or the cancer that was once there is no longer there, and and then experiencing the power of, even if it's for a moment, because the person will eventually die, the power of the kingdom just present. That that is a, a, a what type of work, but then there's the more frequent kind of work, which is the more mundane work of the kingdom. You know, people who, and this is direct and indirect, um, kind of the direct kingdom ministry that we often think of is the guy who preaches or teaches or the, 
person who teaches Sunday school or the small group leader or the person who has an evangelistic passion and gift and wants to go to his neighbors and tell them about Jesus. That's, that's typically what we think of when we think of kingdom ministry, and for, the, for, the, for, for certain that is kingdom ministry. But I think church culture has done us a huge disservice in making us think that that's the only thing that's kingdom ministry. I happen to believe, and I don't have time to get into the underpinnings of all this, but I happen to believe that the New Testament teaches us that anything that we do, anything that we do for the sake of our Lord and for the sake of the benefit of others is kingdom ministry. Everything that we do. When you think about this for a moment, almost every profession, unless you happen to be in the porn industry or you're a kind of a predatorial businessman or politician, (laughs) every career, profession, or staying at home as a housewife um, is fundamentally to serve the needs of someone else somehow, in some way. Um, the guy who's a leader, if he is doing his leading and managing and his organizational stuff in the name of Jesus, like he knows he's serving him there and he's doing it for the benefit of those he serves, well, then he's doing them a service by leading them and providing good, righteous, just environments in which to work. The lady who is a career waitress at Denny's, some might think that that's, that's a, a menial job, and, and I'm sure it is. But there are people who make a career out of it. And where there is a Christian person who makes a career out of pouring coffee at Denny's, and she does it because she serves Jesus, and she wants to minister even by pouring a good hup, cup of hot coffee and making sure it's filled, I believe she's doing kingdom ministry. Everything. That means... Where you are and what you're currently doing, you have to kind of tweak. Instead of just despising it as, as a secular work, you have to recognize this is the place where God's called me. I pour coffee for the Lord, and I'm going to do my best to try and serve that other person. That's love. That's, that means what you're doing is actually a manifestation of love, and you do it in his name. You do it for that, and it's kingdom ministry. And where you're doing that, You're going to start to see, it may not be dramatic, you're going to see a flourishing take place in the context. Things will begin to change, even before you say anything. Now, we've seen this concretely and tangibly, where, you know, our our leaven ministry has gone into the dark pockets of Fairfield, because that's where they want us to go. And Christians go there, and, and just tutoring children... You know, we're not starting a church service or anything else, just simply tutoring children, not even really interacting like every day with the parents. And, and, and it's, it's, it's showing itself to be like a place where now people are flourishing. Why? Because kingdom people are there. And, 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 and that's not just true of like 11, that's true in your office place and, and wherever it is. If, if you are serving Christ there and serving the needs of others there, a flourishing will take place. That dark picture starts to look like the lush picture. And then, when people are thinking, what's, what's going on here? When we have opportunity to then speak, which is the second part, to speak, then we testify to the fact that 
let me revert to Lion King. That Simba's come. And the king has returned, rightful heir to the throne, the one who is righteous and just and good. And he has, he has borne in his own body and in his own soul the darkness and the desolation of this world so that he could bring atonement for it. And his resurrection life is offered to all. This flourishing life of, of love, joy, peace, and kindness is offered to all who will invite the king in to do a restoration work in their hearts. That's, that's the task of the kingdom. And I forgot to put the verse up there, but you see, heal the sick. That's the doing part. And that's just shorthand for all kinds of other benevolent work. And then say to them, the kingdom of God has come, and it's come into the person of Jesus, and he comes in and he flourishes in the human heart and changes it. That, brothers and sisters, is, is like the task of kingdom ministry, is bloom where you're planted and do the work and speak the word when you have opportunity. But know wherever God has planted you, that is exactly where he wants you to be. And if you are doing that there, there will be a flourishing, an effect that will take place. Okay, that's one expectation. Now let me back up in the text um, and give you a second one. Because at this point, it would be really easy to think, wow, so I'm like a kingdom person and I'm authority, and I'm going to go make a difference, I'm going to change the world, I'm going to start a crusade, and, and it, well, who's going to say no, and it's going to just steamroll over this place, kind of this bravado, kind of um, triumphalistic, we're going to march over the world, and it's going to be easy, and, and Jesus is like, okay, you are going to do my kingdom ministry, but here's, here's the status, here's the, here's the expectations, and he gives them sober expectations, he says, that you're going to serve, and you need to serve in the sober awareness of realizing that, that we will be victimized. Uncle Scar is not going to let that land go without a fight. Um, the world in which we live that is, prefers darkness is, is not going to let it go, even though what, we, what, what Jesus has to offer is so unbelievably and immeasurably good. It, of course, tells us in the text we just read, um, a few moments ago, the long one, that, that they would be rejected. It says some are going to reject you, wipe the dust off, move on. But then he gives this rather grisly picture of what it's going to look like for a follower of Jesus when he says, go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I don't know if you've ever seen a dog tear apart an animal, but it's brutal and it's violent. And that is a... That's what he's saying. He said, you guys are going out as his, his lambs. And you think about that. A lamb is not a full-grown sheep. At least a sheep can run, and if it's a ram, it has a head that it can butt with. You know, this is a lamb. Vulnerable, defenseless, and helpless. I feel like, why did... In other words, you can actually expect that you're going to get bitten, and, and you're going to experience hostility, and you are going to be victimized. And he, he tells us this because he just wants to set our expectations correctly. And when expectations aren't set correctly, well, then there's the tendency to become disillusioned. I know friends of mine who I graduated seminary with who, you know, got in, went into some church situations which were very difficult, and they found themselves bit and disillusioned. They left ministry. And Jesus is like, hey, listen, I, you're going to get bit. 
both outside and unfortunately sometimes inside the church by the very people you seek to serve. St. Augustine was correct, I think, when he said there were many sheep without many wolves within. In other words, any time of kingdom ministry out in the community and, and even within the church walls itself is, is you can expect that, that you will be victimized. But the reference to the lamb is more than just of an of a, of a, of a animal of prey. Um, you know, I, I think it also carries the connotations of attitude and even how we see ourselves. I, you think about it for a moment, the, 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 the contrast between, okay, see, here are, these, here are these followers of Jesus that are wielding the kingdom power, in this particular case, miraculous power, and he says, but you're going to do that as lambs. A lamb is not a picture of power. It's a picture of prey. And yet, they're going to be the ones through which and in, in, in whom the power of God is going to be manifested and flourishing is going to take place. Through the weak, the defenseless, the helpless, through the prey, God's power is going to be displayed. And that shouldn't surprise us. That's the way the Lord works. We think sometimes in order to be used by, the, by God, I need to be a tiger or a lion or, um, or at least a badger, something that has some strength. It's, no, it's like it, he, 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 he chooses people who are vulnerable, lambs, and, and then works his power through them and, and brings flourishing through the unexpected. And that's, that's good news for everybody in here because most of us aren't lions and tigers and, and we shouldn't really want to be predators. But rather, as we carry forward the message to do so as, as humble, um, vulnerable prey. So I think, little side note, I, I think predatorial politics at the hands of a Christian Predatorial meaning a coercive forcing of an agenda at the expense of people um, contradicts and undermines the very gospel we're seeking to bear. As he sets the expectations correctly, this is, this is who you are. Um, you're a lamb. That's, that's good news in the sense that God uses just ordinary people and weakness to show his power. But recognize the main point of this is that um, you do kingdom ministry, you, you, you're going to experience um, hostility, not all the time, but sometimes in your workplace, maybe demotion, um, being misunderstood, misrepresented. And understand, as par for the course, he said, this is your expectation. Don't be delus- disillusioned when things don't go your way and you hurt as a result of ministry. And then the last one. Now we back up to the very front side of the text. And that is like how we do this, uh, on the basis of which we do this. And the very first things out of Jesus' mouth and his instructions have to do with divine provision. That is supply. Where are we going to find the resources to do this? I mean, again, we're lambs. That is, we're to serve in complete reliance upon God for all necessary provisions. And, And this is a simple truth, but I can't tell you for my own sake or for my own soul how often I have to return to the simple truth of it and confess that at times I doubt it, that God will provide. I mean, he says to them, verse 2, this is the part that we hear a lot, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And, of course, the harvest is metaphorical for, you know, there's all of that dark, desolate um, souls out there, you know, that are under the dominion of Uncle Scar and, or the devil and the, his dominions. And, 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 and it's a huge work. There's so many, and yet the workers are few and you know, I just kind of chuckled when I, when I read this. It's like, it's been an ongoing joke over the years. Maybe it's not a joke, it's a sad joke. It's a sick joke of like, why are 10% of the people doing 90% of the work, you know? Why is there such a disproportionate number of people working to the big, huge task? And, you know, it's always been that way. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, Jesus says. And, but it's of note. What does he tell them to do about it? What do you do when the, when the task is huge, but there's so few? And you notice what he doesn't say, which most people in leadership try to do. He doesn't say, you know what? You've got to get your people riled up. You've got to pull out that little whip. And you've got to drive people to, to serve and do their kingdom ministry. Maybe put a little guilt into their hearts. Give them a motivational speech, admonishment. And Jesus doesn't say that here. And that's not to say that an admonishment or exhortation or an invitation to do kingdom ministry is, is, is not appropriate. But he does say, first things, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Notice it's his harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. the Lord, the sovereign of this kingdom work. You know, it's his field, his harvest, his laborers. And he's telling them to pray because at the end of the day, it is the Spirit of God moving upon the hearts of his true believers, moving them to do this kingdom work. That's why the first thing is to look to him and recognize people resources. When manpower's down, it's his harvest. If he wants the work done, which he does, we pray, Lord, send more. And you know what? The times that we have prayed for more, and maybe it hasn't been instantaneous where all of a sudden people rise up, but God does supply. Recognize. And where you don't believe this, where you don't believe God's the one that moves in the hearts, well, then you easily become frustrated, judgmental, and self-righteous as you look at those who aren't performing quite as well as you. So he says, you look to the Lord for your provision of people resources, and not just that, but all the little things too. I think that's what's behind when he says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandal, and greet no one on the road. By the way, Jesus is not giving us a concrete absolute here as if we should never prepare or never um, save or or figure out how we're going to do something. The absolute in this text is always rely upon the Lord for those things. This is a a monumental exercise in trusting that Christ is going to provide everything. So he says, no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Don't bring anything extra. Why? Because I'm going to show you that I'm going to provide everything you need along the way. Tangible things. Food, water, a place to stay. And, And I think that means also everything else included. Where he's put you to be that kingdom minister of working and word, recognizing that, that there is latent hostility wherever we go, we're to constantly remind ourselves that he will and has 
and is providing everything necessary for us to do our, our work. And again, like I said, simple truth, but something that you have to believe and trust and go back to and repent of constantly. And I can tell you, when I first came to Parkway, I was fresh out of seminary, really green behind the ears, never preached two sermons in a row. No, three sermons in a row. And I I remember telling my wife and telling the Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Who has that much to talk about? <laughs> granted, the Bible's big, but, you know, I just my personality is limited. My, my bandwidth mentally is limited. My experience is limited. I mean, and I remember feeling afraid. Truth be told. Where do you go? I bet some of you would be doing some different things if you weren't so afraid that you couldn't do them. Well, you retreat to the simple truth that when God calls you, he says, I will provide everything you need. It may not feel like it in the moment, but I will provide the emotional energy, the creativity. I will provide the the strength to endure. I will provide everything necessary for you to do what you do. And that's not just like as a pastor, my little piece of the pie, but, you know, I I could see a, a mom who's doing kingdom ministry as a parent. And yes, parenting, if it is done in the name of the Lord and for the sake of the child, it is kingdom ministry. At the edge of herself and just, I don't think I can do this anymore. Going, wait. The Lord said he'd provide enough to keep doing what I'm doing. Or the teacher who, who is given a class of incorrigible kids who are all just little tyrants. I can't make it through another school year of bad students. I'll tell you where that teacher is doing it in the name of the Lord for the sake of the students. She's doing kingdom ministry, and when she feels at her wit's end, where does she go? She goes right here to the truth that all of us know, but we struggle to believe. That where God has planted you to do his kingdom work and word, recognizing the, you know, the, The hostilities, you know, he's going to provide for you what you need in the moment, even if it doesn't at the moment feel like it. You know, this this is probably, I don't mean this as a brag. Some of my best messages, and I have had some bad messages, have been when my heart was broken and I was at emotional end because God was like, you know what, now you're in a place where I'm going to show my power. And he shows himself to be faithful. He'll always provide. This is a truth that we come to. And again, this is just three, but we'll look at four and five next week. But I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, God has given to us an enormous but wonderful ministry of taking a world that looks like the picture in the left and the little places he's planted us And as representatives of his love and kingdom power to turn our environment into the picture on the lower right, a place of flourishing life, that is why we're here. That's why we've been called to this time, this place.
is to turn the picture from the left to the picture on the right by the power of the gospel and his kingdom working through us where he's planted us. Amen? Since Jesus encourages us to pray in this text, will you, if you're with somebody you know and you're comfortable praying, just ask the Lord to help us as his kingdom people to be people of faith who trust that he is going to do this as we speak and work out his purposes in our lives. We take a moment to say, Lord, send out the harvesters, send out me, help me to be where I'm at, the person you want me to be in your name and trusting in you for the provision. Just take a moment. If you're by yourself, I encourage you to go ahead and pray by yourself. But just, just ask the Lord to do great things um, in our lives.